Hello and welcome to episode 37 of Entertainment of Excellence, the podcast where we talk about films, TV, all of it. Hi, I'm Ollie. I'm Tom. And I'm Ben. And today we're talking about the 2002 film Adaptation Full Stop. This will contain spoilers. Uh, okay, so the plot of this film is Charlie Kaufman is trying to write... Okay, no, so Charlie Kaufman wrote this film. Okay, this is going to get a bit confusing. Charlie Kaufman writes this film in which Charlie Kaufman is trying to write about the book The Orchid Thief. Uh, he then, like, fails to write about the book, so the fictitious Charlie Kaufman instead writes about Charlie Kaufman writing about the book. Can you see where this is going? <laughs> so it's basically written about Charlie Kaufman's own struggles trying to adapt what he felt was an unadaptable uh, book into a film because it kind of uh, has like diverges a lot and there's not really a plot and the characters don't really learn that much. Um, and then he also seems to use it as a way to kind of rag on cliche Hollywood writing with the th- where the third act devolves into what uh, the Charlie Kaufman in the film says at the start. Like he says he doesn't want uh, his screenplay to become Hollywoodized and have car chases, sex, drugs and violence, which all happens at the end of the film. Uh so that's kind of like the vague plot. A few people die that are fictitious, some that are real. Uh, it's quite weird. That's that's the vague outline. Um, and do we just want to dive straight into the like talking about the ending, or do you want to talk about the idea of writing a film about you writing the film? Um, I don't know. I mean, we could talk briefly about the ending because I think that like talking about you writing a film about writing a film is a bit of a bigger topic. Yeah. Okay. Well, uh, you would so the ending is obviously like it becomes Hollywood like. So the protagonist in the film kind of wins, right? He change it, you know, he learns a lesson, he gets the girl and he writes his screenplay. But I've seen some, an argument that because the protagonist wins at the end, it's actually that is the protagonist losing because he didn't want it to become Hollywood. But it is scripted, it does. So Charlie Coffin re- maintains what he says at the start with uh, saying that he doesn't want the protagonist to like win or anything like that. <laughs> does that make yeah. sense? Yeah, I, I see that because but... like, when he goes to that the class about like how to write and it's this really regimented guide to follow where you know you got to think about the audience and there's like a really 
um, strict path that the protagonist has to follow and try to avoid like Deus Ex Machina or cheesy narration. But then all these things start to happen. So it's like it's spiraling out of control. And yeah, because it's adapt like, this book that really doesn't, it doesn't really have a coherent point, really. It's just sort of, he just enjoys it. So he's trying to like look for a deeper value, but in the end, as you say, everything sort of becomes ho- like Hollywood, but that's not really how he intended it to be. Yeah, and like literally the person telling him to not use Deus Ex Machina, him doing that is a Deus Ex Machina in himself. So yeah. <laughs> I think Charlie Kaufman just kind of liked adding in loads of just kind of screenwriting jokes by it's quite self-referential. But also one of the things that, you know, Brian Cox's character says is about like looking at life differently because he says he doesn't want people to change or anything exciting to happen, which is because that's more like real life. But then he says, well, you know, people get murdered every day and people sacrifice themselves and and all this. So if if you think that something being boring means it's like real life, then you're not looking at life the right way. So you could say that like it's also about seeing life as more interesting or being less cynical almost. But then the film yeah. is highly cynical. So I, I don't know. There's a lot of like confusing messages I get for it. Maybe on a second rewatch or reading someone's like ten page long essay on it will help, but I don't know. I mean, you know when you say about like it, re- it like referencing itself and being quite meta. Well, mm-hmm. I thought that um, I genuinely spent the first act of this film thinking that Donald Kaufman was was Charlie Kaufman, but like you know, like it was part yeah. of him that he was sort of seeing himself. And then when he was saying <clears throat> about his script, oh, um, don't do like a split personality disorder. That's really predictable i thought that yeah. was like criticism of what was actually going on it, t- it took me ages to work out that that was actually meant to be someone else yeah uh well i mean i knew it was someone else but i just i think it was supposed to be written as like the would you say the foil to charlie Cotton? It's, it's like everything that he didn't want to be as a screenwriter yeah you know, writing thrillers and standard stories with a normal structure um but and then he's still being charismatic. To that. So, like, ultimately, Charlie Kaufman almost like submits to the thing that Donald Kaufman was successful through like, writing these predictable scripts, and that's sort of how the film is in the last act. Yeah. Um, and he, I think that it is supposed to be written as like part of himself, but um, I'm not sure like how that fits in like if he because he he doesn't he obviously like makes fun of him or at least that part like through it all but then it's shown to be quite endearing at the end when it's kind of supposed to be donald in quotation marks kaufman that's written it you know and he like teaches him the message of it's what you love that makes you who you are not what loves you which is probably supposed to be made up and rubbish (laughs) i mean it's kind of a cool message but it's obviously intended to be like you know the cliche story that the hero learns but i i don't know if that was Kaufman kind of showing i 
because he, he the only other film he'd done before this, I think, was being John Malkovich. So he was instantly became known as like the guy who writes quirky, weird stories that aren't like your typical Hollywood fare. So I don't know if he almost felt a pressure to also not be uh, kind of like have a Hollywood style just for the sake of it or or what? Yeah, because he did actually, he was actually going to adapt The Orchid Thief. So he, he might have sort of thought that was like the only way he could do it. But then if he did it that way, then it would sort of be breaking away from this perception of him as someone who like is a bit quirky and subverts a lot of the typical Hollywood stereotypes. So he like he made this, which is just about as weird as he can get. Yeah. And because obviously there's a lot of themes of change. You know, it's called adaptation. It's about adapting a book, which in turn becomes like its entirely own thing um and also uh, but it's also weirdly about the lack of change like you know that the characters don't want to change and Mm. like the first and second acts that it's just about disappointment and that nothing really happens except it's also engaging at the same time which is how he wanted to write the orchid thief yeah it's how the book is written yeah, because like the the presentation of the orchid thief himself, he's like really living in the moment, and he just constantly changes between different obsessions. And like outside characters looking in can't really understand how he can do that. But it's and when they're sort of on about how plants are able to adapt because they don't have any memory, but like humans are always, um, they're always like influenced by their past. So. It's, yeah, it's almost like a stagnation rather than adapting. Yeah. Because, like, John, the LaRoche character is obviously supposed to be shown as, like, like, a human who can adapt because he just seems to completely let go of past obsessions somehow. But then you find out that he does seem to have this, like, deeply rooted, um, like, regret for the car crash which resulted in his mother and uncle dying and his wife divorcing him. Yeah. Mm. And there's that interesting thing that uh, Susan Orlean says where she says, if if I nearly died, I would have left my marriage too. And it's like, why? It's like, because it's a good excuse. <laughs> so I don't, like, is that about this Colfin feel like just changing for the sake of change or I, I don't know. That's, that was kind of a weird line. Yeah. I think it was mainly just like uh, the fact that she was obviously in a very unhappy marriage and found that like she be- she became fascinated by uh, LaRoche who's the the flower thief um, and sort of mm. found an escape in him um, but equally like Maybe she's like too afraid to change, so she's too afraid to sort of make the leap and leave her marriage and everything. Yeah, because yeah. she was sort of like the the car crash. She said would like be an excuse, and people would sympathise with you, so you wouldn't really have to justify why you're leaving the marriage, which is really what she's looking for. Yeah, yeah. 
That's kind of also why she uh, was so disappointed at the end when uh, LaRoche had died, because essentially everything was back to as it was. There was she's she has to go back to her marriage. Um, she doesn't have the the sort of inspiration and the, the love she has for LaRoche anymore because he's dead. Um, Oh, I guess another way you could read into that, though, is maybe she got her own car crash and therefore does have an, an excuse to escape because it, it what happens to her at the end isn't like shown. Um, after the after Laroche dies, it and Donald, it's kind of just focuses on Kaufman. So yeah, yeah. maybe the ambiguity was intentional. And it's obviously like another thing with the film is it's just Kaufman being also annoyed at the kind of film industry itself, you know, the stagnation of Hollywood and maybe even deadlines, like feeling rushed. And he wasn't very nice to like, was it his agent or something? Yeah. Who would just like keep saying all the women he'd have sex with. And it's like, <laughs> okay, <laughs> right. Um, it you know I don't know if it was like supposed to be saying that it's like all competition for those people and that he feels like he's trying to you know just write about he just wants to write about flowers yeah yeah. and he doesn't write about flowers and it's it's all like quite odd and you can kind of see Coffin's process of writing it I don't know it's such a weirdly written script yeah, it, because it is very Kaufman. He's like trying to live up to this image of him that was sort of created after being John Malkovich, which you see bits of in the film, like when he's on set. But um, so when you see him sort of having these moments of writer's block, or there's one point where he like thinks he has this epiphany, so he records it, but then he's like listening to it late, and it just sounds like a bunch of nonsense. So those scenes are quite painful because. He's sort of having to live up to this um, idea about him that he ultimately, in this film, he sort of has to submit to the regular way of doing it in Hollywood, but like in his own unique style. Yeah. And I forgot the actually the initial voiceover is like really cool. I really like the writing and also, um, you know. Uh, Nicholas Cage's performance of it, where he's saying like, "Do I have an original thought in my head? My bald head made her happier, etc., cetera, etc." Cetera. That like, so it's also it seems to have like that first bit has kind of a fitter, happier, you know, Radiohead vibe, and he he's talking about wanting to be happier, and it's it's almost like an angst of worrying if he's original or not, you know, like wanting to be original. And I guess him then him worrying about being original then taking on to adapt a book that someone else has written maybe that like just really conflicted with him and that's why he ended up kind of making this which is that weird like it does adapt parts of the book and stuff like that but it's very much its own thing it's i don't know it could be Kaufman feeling that he doesn't like count as a person unless he's original you know he needs to have a person a, 
purpose, um, some like indescribable passion, because that's another thing, you know, it, this film, I guess it's more actually the book, The Orchid Thief, that it talks about wanting to have a passion, but sometimes when you actually see something, you know, it's no longer as wondrous when you see the ghost orchid. It's just a flower. Yeah. Well, I think that's definitely true because when like, you see the dialogue between him and his brother and him and his, the other people that are trying to get him to write the script, he's always put on this pedestal as this genius. And it, it's almost, he almost sees Donald's position as easy because he like, doesn't have these expectations. He can just follow the norm and it's a lot, lot easier to, and when he submits his script, it's like praised and, um, despite the fact that Charlie Kaufman sees it as, you know, amateur and predictable, but because when I've seen interviews with Charlie Kaufman, he's sort of saying that when he writes scripts, he he doesn't actually think of the audience. He thinks of whether he finds something funny or something interesting, which I guess sort of encapsulates that cynical aspect of the the film that you talked about. Um, but I think that's, I don't know, it, just parts of it sort of, I felt were borderline pretentious more so than the other Corvin films we did where it seemed to have like more clear themes and messages. Yeah, I would definitely say that this is, of the three, this is the most pretentious one, but mm. I never found it overbearing. Like, I was like, oh, this is, as soon as I found out it was Kaufman, because I didn't actually realise until I started watching the film, because I try not to read too much about stuff. I was like, oh, this is Kaufman writing about himself. Uh, and then I was like, this could be very pretentious, but it was never, like, it. well, it is pretentious, <laughs> but it was never, I don't know, it never annoyed me. I think only Kaufman could really do that. Maybe it's just because I like him as a writer, but I was never, like, extremely annoyed by it i feel like yeah. he got he got away with it you know it was still there but it wasn't uh i don't know it wasn't too bad maybe yeah. it's to do with like in the orchid thief itself when it's like actually tell the story of that there's references to the sort of inexplicable beauty and things don't always need to be explained or have, or have a meaning but where you know, if you're trying to dissect the film itself, then you're almost breaking that rule because you're trying to look for meaning in something that's it's not necessarily there. And, like, they can't really explain what's so overwhelmingly beautiful about this flower or why it's so engrossing, but, you know, that, and that's why it's so difficult to adapt into a film. Mm. Yeah. Should we talk about Nicolas Cage? Oh, yeah, yeah, just performances in general. Would you say better or worse performance than Left Behind? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I'd say... I'd actually say Left Behind is the edge, you know? Really showed his... Uh, I don't know. I think I think it was something about him being a, a questionable character that really did it for me. Yeah. Oh, uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, okay, so he obviously had a much better script to work with here. Um, I think he did really well. I think because apparently, 
uh, what was it? Who was it? I'm pr- I I saw it was someone else who was offered the role. Was it Matt Damon? Uh, I'm going to quickly speedily Google this. Yeah, because in the script when he was talking about who is he going to play him, he didn't actually say <laughs> Nicolas Cage. I was quite surprised. I thought he would. Maybe that's, that would be a bit too much. Mm. Yeah, I can't find it quickly enough. But, um... <laughs> so, uh, he, he obviously, like, wore a fat suit and um, made himself look a lot more ugly <laughs> in this... Uh, in this film, um, but I think he really embodied the yeah. role very well. Um, you know, just the feeling of like I'm... utter hopelessness with writer's block. Uh, it's got a very real feeling, and I think he brought a whole like, uh, not like a whole new perspective on it, but only like a new life to it, I suppose. Yeah, I was impressed as well that he managed to make Donald and Charlie Kaufman seem like completely different uh, people. Like that, yeah. you could always tell which one was which. Yeah, that was. I think that was the best. That was the easiest way to tell that um, he, it, like, was a good actor in this. Because <laughs> they was looked very distinct characters. Yeah, they looked identical. So the only thing you really had to go off was the personalities. Um, and obviously Charlie's like reclusive, anxiety-ridden, um, quite like very depressed, um, and uh, obviously Donald is like uh, outgoing, confident. Uh, he, like as explained it like near the end of the film, like more like confident because he just doesn't care what other people think. It's their problem, not his, which seemed a, a bit, like, cliched, but, you know, it kind of fit the ending a bit. Mm. Well, I like that dialogue between them where he's sort of saying, like, um, that was, he had that love and that was, like, his thing. And um, so, like, both of them are quite cynical, but, like, in different ways because... Um, Charlie is sort of, as I've been saying, is um, having to become this person that he isn't necessarily, he doesn't necessarily know how to because it's still quite early on in his own career. Whereas Donald, he's not necessarily the same person that he presents on his exterior. Yeah. And. Mm. Um- I don't like obviously all the other performances were good as well because Chris Cooper won an Oscar actually for his um, uh, performance as Robert LaRoche, which was very good. I think that like every scene that he was in, that was kind of like a you know, he stole the show really. He did so well playing that, like, like he's really weird but also charismatic in a strange way. And I don't know, he's. He was always a great character to see on screen. I mean, I know he's a real person, but <laughs> he yeah. didn't do real things. Um, so I think that his 
Oscar was definitely deserved for that role. Although I don't know what other films came out in 2002. <laughs> uh, Attack of the Clones. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> oh, maybe, sorry, uh, maybe I'm wrong then. Yeah. Well, uh, I'm thinking Ahmed Best for Jar Jar, he could be the oh, yeah. nomination. <laughs> yeah. What about Willem Dafoe for Green Goblin in Spider-Man? Was that 2002? Oh yeah. Oh yes. <laughs> um also Meryl Streep was pretty good, although I don't know, she wasn't in it as much as I thought she would be. Yeah. And I don't know if she had to do as like as many ranges. It was just kind of from interested to desperate, I guess. Yeah. But I think she did a decent job. I think she all three of them were nominated for an Oscar, I know that. Oh, sorry, sorry. This, the Scooby-Doo movie came out in 2002, so... Oh, no no competition. Just yeah. put it away. <laughs> that should have won best. That should have won all the Oscars. It did. Oh, it, oh sorry, yeah. No, so I'm just on its Wikipedia page. Yep, won all the Oscars. Yeah. It actually won all the previous years as well. And the Not next bad. years. Don't forget the next yeah, years. The, yeah. No, I mean, like, it won every year's Oscars from, like, you know, the 1930s or whatever. Yeah. We didn't win this year. That's that's Scoob. (laughs) 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 What? Who who else was in this? Tilda Swinton. Why why was she just in it for, like, two minutes? (laughs) I don't know. She's, like... You know, she's a really good actor. I've I've always liked her and everything that I see her then. I don't know, maybe she was a bit underused here. Yeah, I was expecting a lot more, like, looking at the cast list, but I guess not. Yeah. Uh, I don't, like, who who else was in the cast that, there's probably people I, I've forgotten. <laughs> you know, big, big names that I've just forgotten. I mean, they, they got, like, the weird thing with being John Malkovich in, so they had all those actors in at points. Oh yeah, Maggie Gyllenhaal was in it as well, wasn't she? Oh yeah. Um, Doug Jones. He's the guy that like plays loads of aliens and stuff. Does he? I mean, <laughs> plays loads of aliens and stuff. Yeah. <laughs> he does look a bit like an alien to me. <laughs> oh yeah, he played the amphibian man in Shape of Water. Yeah, and, all his and roles are like that. Pale man in Pan's Lab. Oh yeah, <laughs> wow, he actually does like only play aliens. What? Yeah, <laughs> that's crazy. It's a bit like Andy Circus, but a weird alien. <laughs> no, but Andy Circus was in that one Marvel film, and he wasn't an, a Black little Panther. goblin. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah, Black Panther. Pine <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Marvel film. <laughs> <laughs> to be fair, there's not really. Any tiny little Marvel films. Oh yeah, Brian Cox. That, I mean, you've talked about him, but crazy that he was in it as well. Just kind of popped up. Oh, oh Susan Orlean made a cameo, but it was in a deleted. The real one. <laughs> oh well, the real one. Not Meryl Streep. <laughs> Meryl Streep made a cameo in the film that she starred in. How do you think they... They felt about that, like 
the writer of the book. I saw what, something where, but the last where they act were where it goes down was actually like, yeah, go on. I saw something where they were like interviewed by GQ magazine afterwards, like in 2012 or something. Mm-hmm. And her first response was like, no, awful, bad, not good. This is uh, going to ruin my career. But then since grown to like actually really like the film um, and like kind of accepted it. Because, I mean, obviously the last bit is heavily fictionalized so i doubt that she'd think that um you know it was an attack on her yeah so the quote is she has said like it gone uh the quote is reading the screenplay was a complete shock my first reaction was absolutely not they had to get my permission and i just said no are you kidding this is going to ruin my career very wisely, they didn't pressure me. They just told me that everyone else had agreed, and I somehow got emboldened. It was certainly very scary to see the movie for the first time. It took a while for me to get over the idea I had been insane enough to agree to it, but I love it now. And yeah. she called Streep's she, portrayal she's... one of her favourite performances. So Nice. She said The Orchid Thief was an incredibly difficult book to make into a movie for all the reasons that Charlie in the movie complains about. So, <laughs> I guess she uh, agrees with that. Maybe, would you be interested to check out the book? No. Uh, kind of, but flowers. I know that. I know that, like, literally nothing happens, but um, yeah. But also that apparently it's written in a very engaging way, even though nothing happens. Yeah, like the excerpts um, they're quite philosophical, but um, like yeah. the bit where I like the bit where um. He's sort of where he's talking to the Brian Cox, and he's sort of saying, "Well, what, what next?" Because it's left unresolved, and the the film kind of shows what happens after that, and how she does actually find the flower, but she's just like really underwhelmed. Um, but like in the book itself, it's sort of shown that it doesn't always have to have a perfect ending, but ultimately, obviously, the film goes a bit off the rail. Yeah, such a strange film. Yeah, I'm trying to think of what I because I, I think this is actually like stranger than I'm thinking of ending things, and that is very strange. <laughs> I feel like with both those films, a rewatch would definitely you'd definitely watch it in a different way, and it'd probably either well, I, I'm guessing it you'd probably prefer it on the second viewing. Yeah, yeah. But in terms of how it compares to the other two that we've done, I definitely didn't like it as much. But I mean, it's quite a high bar. Yeah, I I think it's also the weakest of the other two. Yeah. Um, I know a lot of people didn't really like. I'm thinking of ending things, but we did. So shut up. <laughs> We're right. <laughs> we are literally objectively correct about films. If yeah. you like a film that we didn't, you're wrong. If you don't like a film that we liked, you're wrong. Um, if you don't like our opinion, it's, it's bad. Facts <laughs> don't care about your feelings. If you don't like our, if you don't like our facts, please unsubscribe. And by that, I mean don't unsubscribe. Please subscribe to the channel. <laughs> 
I'm tr- there, there has been another film about writing the same film, I think, called Eight and a Half. Um, I saw that. Apparently, Mulholland Drive is very strange, but to find out, it's um, it, I would have to spoil it. I'm trying to see if there's a film stranger than this. <laughs> One that I've maybe heard of and hopefully seen. That would be helpful. Uh... Mm... I guess this is the strangest film of all time. Oh, I want to watch a Radiohead. Yeah. <laughs> Actually, that's supposed to be quite strange. But, uh, yeah. That's objective. Isn't yeah, objective that's now. Fact. Yeah. The only films that, are ex- that exist time. are the ones that we do on the podcast. Oh, or recommend. Or recommend. Yeah. Something we haven't talked about, which is kind of glaringly obvious, is the the split mm-hmm. screen to uh, allow Nicolas Cage to play Donald and Charlie simultaneously. Um, just yeah. thought that was very good. Given it was two thousand two, yeah, it, it was like a it lot better good, than I thought it would be. Yeah, I could tell that. Um... Like the camera had to be held stationary, but it did look good. I think there was one point in the third act where they were like running through the swamp, and I think one of them turns their face, and I was pretty sure it was a stunt double, but I don't know if they edited it. But because I didn't really get a good look, I was like, I don't think that's Nicolas Cage. I just assumed it wasn't because the camera was moving and you'd seen both their faces at some point, but uh, yeah. But I yeah. could be completely wrong, so there's no point of having that as a complaint. Any um, was there any standout cinematography or anything like that? I can remember. Uh, um, I mean, I liked the montage, like of the evolution at the start. Yeah. The... Yeah, that was the one kind of... at the end. Is that? No, there's one at the start. You know, because I remember one of them is like the fox's body decaying. But oh yeah. I'm on about like the flowers at the end when. Oh, that was also so, cool. Yeah. 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 I don't know what it means. Because that was almost about like nothing really changing. But it's literally yeah. called adaptation. What? Crazy. <laughs> Damn, that's crazy. That's crazy. <laughs> also, um, when way back when. We originally did being John Malkovich around that time. We used to have like a couple of key questions that we'd answer, and oh, it would yeah. always be, "Is is there going to be a sequel? And is it based on a true story?" And this is one hundred percent true. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, all of this is true. Everyone yeah. who says that Donald is fictitious is just lying to cover up his death because it was a Hollywood <laughs> scandal. <laughs> yeah. Uh, what did you give the soundtrack? Um, I noticed that there was actually quite a minimal use of like the score throughout most of it. Um, mm. Like there were a couple of moments it was there, but most of the time it was just like the the raw sound of the, the rooms and the dialogue, um, which I think kind of I liked. I think sort of suited the style well. Um, there was obviously that like song at the end that uh, Donald kept singing like earlier on in the film. I can't remember how it goes, but or what it's called. But like, oh yeah, 
I felt that was kind of a nice way to leave the movie. It was, it, it suited it. Yeah, yeah I is also the soundtrack itself was quite minimalist. And I thought it was kind of cool. It was a bit quirky, you know, but yeah, I thought it was pretty good. It served the film. It didn't detract, it, and it wasn't a normal film score. So I'm sure that uh, Charlie Kaufman would be happy with that. And the composer, he seems to actually be more of a conductor from what I can see, but he has worked on a lot of other films before, so he knows what he's doing. He has composed quite a lot. A bit of a a criticism I have, and I understand that this was meant to sort of encapsulate the, the ending, not really been sustained throughout the whole film and it was sort of like an attack on Hollywood as we were saying but I just felt like the relationship between Charlie and she called Amelia like they'd met oh yeah they they were together near the start but I feel like that didn't really I just sort of forgot about that as the film went on and it was sort of brought back up at the end yeah but I guess you could say it's just because it's supposed to be like him getting the girl. It's yeah. Not really realistic. But... It just felt a bit. It felt a bit forced when he was like, "I love you," finally, and then he's, and then she turns around at the end, it's like, "Well, I'm with someone," and then walks away and turns back and goes, "I love you too," you know. I'm just like, okay, that feels a bit shoved <laughs> yeah. in. Yeah. Because. You. Because they'd also set it up where it's like it doesn't actually matter who loves you back, but whatever. She was really bad at coming up with excuses as well. She was like, "Oh, sorry, I can't. Stay. I've got like um, I, I've got like a, a million thing, a do. million million things to do." <laughs> uh, oh, this is so sad. One of the FAQs is, does the orchid actually have psychotropic properties? Uh, and no one's answered. Ah. Let's buy some and try it out. Can you get drug from Orchid? Is it real? One of the drugs in the briefcase in Fear and Loathing. Ooh. (laughs) Oh, there is. Wait. Oh, no, that says from the bark of Africa. I don't know. Who knows? Maybe. There might there might be some psychoactive drug you can make from orchids. There you go. You're welcome. <laughs> Should we give our ratings? Cool. Yeah. Go Did to our like website now. Today? Okay. <laughs> Do you feel like we've done justice to the questions in the description? Uh, is it good? Is it too pretentious? I think is we've answered. Point? Is there a point and is it too pretentious? And we're so about to do, is it, is it good, good now? Yeah. So there you go. <laughs> Crazy. Oh, this is, is so good? difficult to put it somewhere. <laughs> uh, someone else go first. Screw I was going to say someone else go first. Duh! Ollie. Right, I'll go first. Um... Yes. What did I give? I'm thinking of ending things. Let's have a look. Quite high. I think I was the lowest, if I remember. Um, 
7.8. I was the only person that didn't give it in, in the 8. Um, I feel like that was quite... I feel like I'm thinking of ending things as a lot more divisive than this, but I preferred it a lot more. I think that's sort of a film that you either really like or you really don't. And yeah. this is the same to an extent, but I, I definitely didn't dislike it, but I just didn't love it the same as the other ones we've done. So I'm probably going to go around 7.4. Cool. Groove. This is, this is also like a really tough one for me. I'm... <laughs> uh, I don't know like if I entirely agree with all my... I think I'm going to give it like a 7.6. So that's just because I want to put it above the social network and below um, No Country for Old Men. So for me, that's 7.6. I think that's I think that's fair. <laughs> I don't yeah. know. I know that <laughs> we would say before that a social network... We, it's apparently amazing, but obviously they're wrong because we're the final authority on all films. I mean, to be fair, even like and yeah. I actually Ben that turned down the rating load, so blame him. Yeah, I was about, <laughs> I was about to say like you thought it was like a lot better than I thought it was. Like I don't think it was that that great. I think it was kind yeah. of like okay. Um, seven point. I'm gonna go around seven point five. What did I give? Uh, it's in the middle of our two. Oh, wait, I haven't finalized. I need to see what I give Black Panther. Oh. oh. Seven point four. Did I enjoy this more than Black Panther? Um. I mean, to be fair, I'd say they're really different, so it's hard to compare. So I'm just going to stick with 7.5. There you nice. go. So is that average on 7.5 then? It does. That is cool. Yeah, I thought Crazy. this was very, very similar to Black Panther. <laughs> yeah, I, I think it... <laughs> really grapples with the same themes. Yeah. Yeah, it really resonated with the black audiences. Cool. So next up, we have the submission spotlight section, which, no surprise, is empty after uh, last week's Chrome. Uh, just a quick note to say that uh, the second episode of Chrome, uh, the web series, should be coming out this month. Uh, leave a comment or something if you want us to watch it. Um, uh, <laughs> and also, if you if you create any type of like media or entertainment, so music, strip films, web series, or you write something, you write uh, a book, or even if you really want to write a film about yourself writing a film, then you should get in contact. Uh, via the contact form on our website, or you could go and DM us on Twitter or Instagram, which are both at ERV Podcast. This year, our New Year's resolution, which we hopefully won't break, is going to be more act. We're going to be more active on social media because we kind of ignored it for like two months. 
Um, so yeah, go and follow us there. Oh, Skilldozer123 says, I want you to watch Chrome episode 2. Thank you, Skilldozer. I don't know who that is. Must be one of our most avid <laughs> fans. Do it now. We don't actually know when Chrome episode 2 is coming out, so if Susan Goforth wants to uh, tell us when, then we'd be happy to uh, be there at the premiere. Next up, before Tom, like explodes dying to get to it is the recommendation <laughs> section yeah so recommend away because i've got nothing i do have some stuff I've in the like, works though i think i've got two that is good i'll do two actually maybe three that is at Ooh. least two <laughs> that, that really... is at least two yeah um so I watched Dread 2012, and I thought it's a very enjoyable, low-budget sci-fi action film. Like it does well with tension and like the small scope. Even though like you know a lot of people complain because you know Mega City One take advantage of the big dystopian thing. It's like well they obviously didn't have much budget, but I thought Carl Urban's really cool in it. A lot of the action's cool. Only problem was when it did slow motion with the um, like CGI blood because I think they didn't really have the budget for that, so it doesn't look too great. But um, it is it is fun. It's like a really fun film, very violent, but uh, it's good. Uh, another film I watched was The Untouchables, nineteen ninety, which I'd say. Uh, you know, it's decent, well-made, good performances. But, like, some of the themes I found weird, I won't spoil anything, but, like, one of their characters seems to be, like, supposed to be very, like, unquestionably good, but then does something not that morally great at the end and is kind of still praised for it. I'm like, I don't know about that. But it has really good writing and good performances, uh, and it it's made me want to watch The Godfather again. <laughs> But, um, yeah, The Untouchables is good. And then the final thing is a video game that I finally completed. <laughs> uh, I finished playing Bioshock Infinite, and the ending is very whack and cool, and it made me appreciate the game a whole lot more. And also, so, like, the story is great, and it's also just got, like, really fun uh, gunplay and, like, Ability, you get abilities uh, like powered by salts, um, and it's just fun. It's just fun. So check all of them out. Nice, nice. Um, shall I go then? If you don't have anything, Ben. Yeah, indeed, go you should. Um, I've watched quite a lot of stuff since our last episode, but I think I've, the majority of it been recommended by before by Tom. Um <laughs> so I'm actually also gonna recommend a video game. Duh. Which is Cyberpunk twenty seventy seven. Pretty wow. new. Uh I haven't played that much of the story yet. Mostly just been doing like the side quests and stuff. And um I've been playing it on Xbox One so I haven't encountered any major issues. There's just 
the FPS is a bit of a problem at times, but it's it's still got really fun, um, like gun combat style, and the it's just really cool, like exploring the city, and a lot of the quests are really unique, and there's loads of upgrade potential, and uh, I mean, I'll probably have more to say when I've played through more of the story, but for now, just know that I'm really enjoying it. Cool. Yeah. Ben, do you recommend not watching films? I do. <laughs> cool, well, that's Ben's recommendation. <laughs> uh, so next week, we're going to be doing the film Snowpiercer. So, um, you know, buy it, watch it on your preferred streaming service. Whatever. Subscribe Watch to our mailing list and we'll be sending out yeah. links as to where you can do that. This is the film, by the way, not the new TV show. The 2012 film, I think it is. I've seen the TV show, so it'll be interesting in the film. And we're linking it again. Yeah. yeah. It's uh, Tilda Swinton. 2013. Hopefully, it should be a little bit more. <laughs> oh, yeah, hopefully. <laughs> Let's see how long we can sustain this linking the films together. I think after that week, that's probably end. <laughs> yeah, I mean, last week was obviously Nicolas Cage as well, in a slightly better role than this week. Get it? It's a joke because it was a crap film. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I get it. Yeah. That is good. Cool. Well, we are. Looking at, we'll be finishing ten minutes early, which is weird. <gasps> First time we've crazy finished early in all ages. So if anyone is watching and wants to quickly sneak in any questions in the comments that aren't skilled as a one two three, <laughs> I can't believe we had that one episode where we had a couple people watching live and then we just never had them back. I think Which we just summoned that again? the Brie Larson fans. Oh, yeah. Just crazy. Well, maybe we need to check out some of those films. Some... Yeah. Yeah. What was, what was the one that they said was great? Like Unicorn something. I mean, Bosmati Blues. Tom watched Bosmati <laughs> Blues. <laughs> Damn, I guess I have to watch it. Watch um... it now. On Earth. <laughs> Is there anything you're excited for coming out this year? Ooh. Should we talk about that? Well, WandaVision comes out on the 15th, doesn't it? It does. Is um, Are you hyped? Wonder Woman meant to be good? Apparently not. No. I, I listened to like <laughs> what I've heard, a, no. a plot summary of it, and it just sounds like a fairy tale. I heard some people say that uh, <laughs> the reason that people don't like it is because it's, we've had so long without a superhero film that people forgot that this is what they're all like. <laughs> <laughs> Which could be true. Yeah. But, I mean, it's two and a half hours, so I think it's it's going for the problem that now like it feels like a lot of modern superhero films are really long for some reason. It's like, yeah. you know, such a quick, fun romp. <laughs> they're like, no, three hours. <laughs> Screw yeah. you. The first woman, first Wonder Woman, I remember being pretty decent, apart from like the ending, which again had like a big CGI villain. But yeah, I don't think that was 
thought this would have potential, but doesn't seem to be getting great reviews. Yeah. It's a shame. Oh, there's the new Dune film coming out at some point. Hopefully that's good. I don't know, I should read the books. Oh, and A Quiet Place Part 2. Indeed. Definitely should look at that, given that was the film that rebooted the Entertainment of Excellence podcast. Wait, what? It says release date 20th of March 2020. What? Did it come out? I don't think it did. Like when, When we did the first one, I was like, I thought it was out, but then I think it was literally a few weeks from coming out. I saw oh, it on and because of the pandemic, they decided to not. Yeah. I can't... Oh, yeah, yeah, they've changed the release date. But it's got a 2020 billing, but it has changed the release date. That's quite interesting. There are also exactly one million Star Wars shows coming out next year. Oh, uh, this year. <laughs> That's pretty cool. Yeah, <laughs> there are a lot. I'm just like... I, I I keep saying this to you guys, so I'll say it once in there. Like, I think I think they should be a lot more careful. I think they're like the Mandalorian was a success, so they're like speeding ahead, going, well, all shows we produce are now going to be good because the Star Wars fatigue is over or whatever. It's just yeah, like as long as they all have good writing and like decent to great direction, then yes, they the ideas are all solid but like as shown with like uh the last jedi and the rise of skywalker like the writing uh like star wars stuff isn't always like uh perfect so i don't think it's a wise move just like going ahead with like 20 million shows at once like yeah i'd say maybe like two this year then another like a third one uh, the year after and stuff, um, maybe just continue with the Mandalorian, uh, the Book of Boba Fett, um, and maybe like Ahsoka or something. But then there's like there's, yeah, then there's like the Obi Wan one. There's the the Bad Batch. There's all of these other things. I I just feel like some of them are just gonna lose like quality because there's just so much being churned out at once but hopefully i'll be proven Uh, wrong there's a few more things coming out which look interesting like that ghostbusters afterlife which seems almost like a more horror version of Ghostbusters or horror sequel to the original one i think and then there's also the um new suicide squad is it a reboot? Is it a sequel? <laughs> Are they pretending the last one never happened? Who knows? Seems Wait. wacky. Doesn't the Snyder Cut come out this year? <gasps> oh, <gasps> yes. <laughs> I, how hyped are you, Ollie? Oh, As a true cinephile. <laughs> um, uh, it has to be in black and white, guys. Otherwise, it's not a real film. <laughs> Do you okay? <laughs> random rant, like before we finish. Why, why are they just adding, like versions of films now in black and white? Like it's just it's an objectively worse version. You, you know, films that are in black and white were intended to be in black and white. Like you can watch Parasite in black and white, which has like really like saturated covers, colors. I felt and 
you know, the red of blood and stuff is quite important and shocking, so that feels weird. Mad Max Fury Road, you can watch in black and white. What? Well, where's all the cool orange? Like, ah, it just annoys me. <laughs> I mean, I'd say, Speaking like, like that's something I watched this week. That's <laughs> what? Really good. I just said I watched Parasite. Oh, yeah? Yeah. That's good. I've already recommended it, I think. I know. But... You're not allowed to recommend it. Uh, well, I've I've got an idea. This will probably take like five minutes it, um, because it's the entertainment worthy of excellence, but we've seen like, well, I personally have seen about four films that came out this year, so it's not going to be very long. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Should we do... Uh, yeah, What's I've... the best film then? What films actually came out this year? Well, quite Sonic, a film that came out I think. quite recently was Soul. Oh yeah, that's true. Sonic, I've not seen. Um... I'm thinking of ending things. Oh yeah, Tenet, Midnight Sky, Hillbilly Elegy, <laughs> We Can Be Heroes. <laughs> <laughs> I'd, per- I'd personally say Trial of the Chicago Seven, but I don't know if you've seen that. Oh yeah, I need to see that. Oh, I'm just saying films that came out. All right. Well, that's Currently. my favorite. I need to watch that. Soul was definitely a highlight. How about um, the worst? Oh, the New Mutants. We Can Be Heroes, which I mentioned. Uh, was The Witches supposed to be... Oh, yeah, Mank came out, which was kind of like... Ugh, whatever. I don't know about worst. Oh, there's like loads of tiny films like that Bruce Willis hard kill thing. That's supposed to be terrible. I saw a review of that by like Ralph the Movie Maker, I think. <laughs> There'll be, oh no. There'll be te- loads, like, there's always loads of random terrible films that you've never heard of. Chrome came out this year. Dead. It did. <laughs> yeah, how about best well, TV? last year, I guess. Oh yeah, last year. In in the last year. Oh, Borat two. Borat two. Oh yeah. That came out. Artemis Fowl. <laughs> I saw a Noel Holmes. That wasn't exactly amazing. <laughs> it was all right. There's there's a lot of bad films and also all right films. Wasn't uh, a lot of people say that Twenty Twenty was actually pretty good for TV shows, apparently. Like Doesn't... the Queen's Gambit, um, new season I of Westworld. Things... The worst by far. Oh. <laughs> the Boys. Oh, I may destroy you. Uh, Star Trek. Clone Picard. Wars. Mandalorian. Oh yeah, the Clone Wars. <laughs> yeah. Tom. Um, there was a Tom, few like. Okay watch the Clone Wars. I wouldn't I've say the Clone Wars because, as an <laughs> aggregate, like season seven wasn't that amazing. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> the last four were, but I'd probably have to go with maybe the Queen's Gambit. I don't know. Uh, I'm trying to see, like, there's so many things. So many things. There Tiger are a lot King things. came out. <laughs> Remember Tiger King? Yeah. Crazy. Oh, yeah, but the start of lockdown. Yeah, I think we'd, we'd probably have to research everything that came out in 2020 to actually decide stuff. We need to do the whole to be a oh, lot more than we than I thought. We need to do the whole award show with like the music yeah, and the countdown and everything. 
<laughs> yeah, let's do it. Film. All right. Damn. Do that that next week. Have to watch a lot more stuff. <laughs> Not necessarily. Just do it on what you've seen. I mean, did we watch oh, a load Hamilton. of stuff in 2018? Oh yeah, Hamilton. <laughs> Crazy. We'll just do it from stuff we've seen then, I guess, which might not be a lot, but whatever. Alright. I mean, I'd, the, the last one we did, I think Ben just nominated John Cena and Daddy's Home 2 for half of them, so... <laughs> I can't I even remember if that was the best like, or worst category. <laughs> when is Daddy's Home 3 coming out? <laughs> oh, Lovecraft Country came out. I kind of want to watch that. Damn. Watch it now. I think, so unfortunately, we won't be able to do any HBO shows because you have to have, like, Sky, I think, in the UK. I don't know. I have there definitely are other ways of getting around, but... I've watched, like, a bit of... Yeah. Oh. Ben, what are you suggesting? Right, it was Watchmen 2019, I think it was. Yeah, because it came out when I... In October last year, I remember. Or it was out then, at least. I think we're up to about an hour now. I think yeah. we've quite a bit of time there. Yeah, we're done. <laughs> we've rambled long enough now. Groovy. Well, so, go and... Uh, go I... to... <laughs> go to our website now. Sign up for our mailing list. Follow us on social media at ERV Podcast, both Twitter and Instagram. Um, subscribe to us on YouTube if you so desire. And uh, stay tuned for next week uh, when we're doing Snowpiercer. All right, see ya. All right, see ya. Right, see ya. <laughs> Get right. <laughs>